Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. I feel so welcome. My wife and I, my wife and my children are here with, uh, with me today. I've got one child, she's in college, and, uh, and she sends her wishes. And uh, to Ben and Brandy, you guys are wonderful people, and thank you for being a friend. I spoke at you, one of your youth events, I mean, it must have been like eight years ago, bro, right? And we've hung on to friends. Every time I went out to Midland, Odessa, we'd go get some tacos or some like uh, Rosa's Cafe or some, something that they only have there. Yeah, you, you actually crave that? I'm sorry for you, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, I do appreciate your friendship, and uh, you know, we, maybe we'd go get a game sometime there. we go hang out, and you guys are special. God bless your family. Uh, it's, it's perfect that it's luminous because that's exactly what you guys have been. You guys have been a light. Everybody that I've seen around you guys bringing people to Jesus and everything that you do, thank you for being that. Thank you for serving God with your ministry. Let's give our pastors a big round of applause. I killed you at Top Golf, but I, I acknowledge you here, and uh, we <laughs> we have fun. But I want to have a good time with you guys today. Thank you for enjoying that video. I heard some of you guys. Now I, it starts off crying, like I'm like oh, crying, but they got me. They got me. They took me into a studio. It was all dark, and uh, it's at 6, 6 a.m. And I actually sat in the. There's like four or five of those white chairs from the I Am Second videos. If you've ever seen any of them. But I actually sat in the real chair. There's one that, like, in the back, it's got Kathy Ireland. It's got Stephen Baldwin's name on the back. It's got all the Duck Dynasty names. And my name's back there behind the chair. And so I actually got to sit in that chair. And everybody's real quiet. And I'm like, 6 a.m., I'm trying to wake up and get my personality. I'm like, hey, man, I'm glad to be here. This is awesome. I'm like, man, you know what? I, I was born, right? And check this out. I had this changla ninja mom. She was crazy. I used to be dodging changlas, like one changla, two changla, three changla, three changlas. How many feet you got, woman? I mean, she was crazy. I'm like all in my personality at 6 a.m. and trying to, I'm awesome. So, so I'm like, I, just continue your story. It's so great. And this is like these, these voices in the dark, and I'm sitting under this white light. So I'm just talking. I swear to God, it's like two hours later, and I'm like, hey, guys, I feel like I'm just rambling, like, right now. Do I need to? They're like, no. Most times it's hard to get people to speak. You're being great. But, but uh, you said earlier that when you saw your dad, you were downtown San Antonio. You and your mom saw him. He abandoned you, and he died two, week, uh, two months later after you saw him. You said you were walking. Your mom was holding your hand, and you were about five years old. You just mentioned that your youngest son is five years old. I said, yeah, yeah. My they said, I want you to, to tell that story, but this time, I want you to envision little Sebastian, little Dylan. Can you do that for us? I said, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> I was right there. You didn't want me. And I'm like, <laughs> and boom, when they send me the first cut, I'm crying. I'm like, no, I don't want that. You know, but my wife said, you know what? People need to see men fight and cry for their family. And so I said, I approve it. Let's go with the video. And it's reached a lot. I've been so many places, and people said, I've seen your video. And I'm like, wow, you've seen parts of my face even I haven't seen. <laughs> You're like nostril shots. <laughs> but I want you to have a good time today. Now, I get the privilege and the pleasure of traveling to schools all across America. I've spoken to over 2 million students. And a couple of years ago, uh, Popular Hispanic Magazine named my work, the, I, they named me the number one Latino youth speaker in America. Now, I just don't speak to Latinos. I just happen to be Latino. And there aren't a lot of us that do public speaking in schools all across America. I don't know why this guy's laughing, but <laughs> I, we need more people to just share the message of hope and inspiration. And I'm an ordained minister. That's where I come from doing what I'm doing. And uh, I was born here in San Antonio. My wife was, was born here. She used to be a news anchor for KSAT 12 here. And about six years ago, we moved to Los Angeles. And then this summer, we moved back. And your staff helped me unload from the U-Haul. So you, your church blessed me tremendously, and so I'm glad to have a chance to, to bless you back. And I want to open up in the portion of Scripture, and uh, I want to talk to you today about God pursuing the lost, because that's really what I'm doing. When I go to schools, and some people say, Gabe, you're not ministering. 
Some people tell me, Gabe, you're, you're not really moving in, in the gifts of the Spirit because you're just talking about drug prevention and gang prevention and, and, and goal setting. This really isn't ministry. And that's not true. I don't care what field you are in. If you're a dentist, if you're in the military, if you're a school teacher, you are a minister. If you are a child of God, you know you have a ministry, right? All right, I was at a school one time here in San Antonio, and I finished speaking to like a bunch of kids. I finished speaking. Lines of kids are wanting to talk to me afterwards. They're crying, telling me I need to give up drugs. And, you know, I was abandoned. I was abused. I was molested. They're telling me all these crazy things. And I'm there walking them through this whole process and giving them little mini counseling sessions. And this woman stopped me. And she goes to my mom's religious church in some other part of San Antonio here. I'll just be honest with you. That's the way it was. Because she comes up to me. She goes, Gabe, that was so awesome. You spoke and you had these people in the palm of your hand. And, oh, man, it was wonderful. And you had them laughing and engaged. I've never seen that before with our kids. But you know what? Not once did you mention his name. I said, what do you mean? She said, not once did you mention Jesus. She said, if one of these kids, if they were to die tonight, you know what? Their blood would be on your hand. And I said, wow. So that's a lot of pressure. I said, I'm only here one day, but aren't you here every day? You know, I'm out there ministering, and you wouldn't believe how many. I, I really believe, you know, when, when, the, when the scriptures talk about some plant, some water, some sow, some reap, that's my job. My job is not to, to reap, it's to plant plant seeds of hope and inspiration that someday, one day, they'll be in a place like Luminous Church where everything will line up and they'll say, it's time that I give my life completely, wholly to Jesus Christ. And it's a shame. Sometimes we think that all needs to happen before the end of a Hillsong set, you know, that, that all the, needs to plant, so reap, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's a progressive sanctification that's happening in kids' lives all across America. And I'm glad to be a part of it with you guys today. But I believe God is pursuing the loss. And so in the book of Luke, chapter 15, I'll be reading NIV version. You know these three stories. We'll get through them. And I want to talk to you about God pursuing the loss. Let's pray very quickly. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for every man, every woman, every heart that's in this place today. We know that you've had them here for a purpose and a reason. Cause us to change, to be different, to be everything that you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered together to hear Jesus. Let's start at 15. Uh, now, and they were all gathered together, oh, 15 verse 1. They were all gathered together to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, the man welcomed sinners to eat with them. Then Jesus told them the parable. He said, suppose, of you, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses them. Doesn't he leave the 99 and oh, go into the open country and go try to find the one lost sheep? Let's go down. And he says, just like he says, I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents over 99 righteous persons and, uh, and who needs to repent. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let's go to verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, go carefully searching through the house until she finds it? And then when she finds it, she calls all her friends and neighbors together and, and says, Rejoice with me. I have found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angel over one sinner who repents. And this is the portion I want to speak on today. At verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger said, son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not longer, long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. 14, after he had spent, all his, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs, 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. And his father said to him, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, and his father 
fattened the calf and killed it, and he said, let's celebrate. Isn't this a wonderful story about restoration? I love this story. It's about three, three instances when things are lost. And the title of my message is called God Pursues the Lost. And I love this story. You've got a coin that's lost. You've got sheep that are lost. You've got a son that is lost. And, and of course, the parable of the prodigal son is a famous story. We all have heard this story before. And the son comes back. And, and, and I love that story. But um, I love thinking about lost things. Have you ever lost something? Have you ever lost something and it just drives you nuts? Has that happened to you? I, I like on YouTube, there's always, they always show these life hacks where, you know, if you lose your earring, you could put a magnet along the carpet and hopefully it'll pick it up or, or, or put tape around your hand and try to sweep up the earring. Or, or the other one is put pantyhose around a vacuum nozzle and you try to find the, the earring. Have you ever lost something and it was just driving you nuts? Here, how about this? Have you ever lost something? It's so simple. Like, have you ever lost your sunglasses and they were on your head? Like, how does that happen where you're like, where are my glasses, mom? They're on your head. Have you ever lost this one? Watch, your phone. And you're on your phone. <laughs> how does that happen? It's the craziest thing. When you lose something, you will turn the house upside down. You will look and look and look until this thing. Have you ever lost sleep over something that you couldn't find? I've lost something before, and it drove me nuts. I lost my wedding ring. It was the year I got married. And uh, I went up to a camp in Wisconsin. Now, I don't know what this Latino was doing up in Wisconsin, but I was in Wisconsin. If there's any people from Wisconsin, it's Wisconsin, right? And it's, it's the cheese curds that they're crazy about. Any, any Wisconsin people? No. They're just not. All right, Wisconsin cheese curds, the squeaky cheese. Oh, my gosh, like a big and a dollar, right? Wisconsin. <laughs> I was there at Camp Spencer Lake. We were playing, and they play the craziest games in Wisconsin. Like, they play, they play football on ice. Like, we went ice fishing, and I was like, we didn't fish. We dug holes. We popped a, a, a hook and a piece of water, and we played football on the ice. And, and they're big in Wisconsin. I mean, I was at this middle school camp. These dudes were huge, and we were playing all the craziest games. We played, and when I go to camps, I'm not the camp speaker hanging out in my cabin until it's time for me to speak. Like, I love hanging out with the kids. We're playing paintball. Um, I love playing. I used to dodge chanclas, so I was good at dodging paintballs. And we played a game called, uh, it, was, it was tug of war, but it wasn't normal. They dug a, a hole, and they put an above-ground pool in this hole, and they filled it with chocolate pudding. And so you get like 50 middle school kids on this side, 50 middle school, and like half of them fell in. They're like, oh, this is disgusting, but it's good. I was like, ooh, cochino. <laughs> Nasty feet are all in there, and middle school kids don't bathe in camp, and it was gross. And we played another game that I'll never forget where I lost my ring. They played watermelon football, where they get a watermelon, they cover it completely in Crisco grease, and Latinos call it manteca. They cover it like an inch thick of manteca. It's all covered, and they sop it up, and they get like, you know, 25 kids on this side, 25 kids on this side, and it's only like four rows, like what it is here, wall to wall, this distance, right on the shore of a lake, so the water's about thigh high. And the base, basically, there were no rules. The rules were just get the watermelon, cross the goal line. You ready? And like, I mean, all these kids were like, yeah, big old kids, Wisconsin boys. You know what I'm saying? They, and and so they're meat and potato kind of guys, you know? And so they were like, hey, let's go, let's go. And I was on the blue team, blue, let's go. And one of our guys, he had played the game before. So he said, Gabe, I got an idea. You ever played this game before? He said, I have. He says, on this game, we like to do the move from Mighty Ducks. You ever seen Mighty Ducks? The flying V, right? So the, uh, whoever gets the ball, give it to me and, and uh, get behind me and push. So they're there. Are you ready, red team? Are you ready, blue team? Brrr! The watermelon goes flying in the air. When it lands, everybody starts rushing out. One of our teammates gets it. He passes it off to that one big guy. Boom, he pops it in between his legs. I mean, this dude, everybody gets behind him. He starts pile driving through the water like, boosh, boosh, boosh. And little middle school kids, mommy, they're flying all over the place. We're behind him. Push him, push him, go, go. And we're moving with so much force that, you know, Ben, I've only seen my children born into this beautiful earth, but what started off looking like a little tennis ball, it got a little bit bigger, right? <laughs> so it got so big. We were pushing him so fast, it popped out underneath his legs. <laughs> and it popped up right in front of me. So there I was holding this thing like I gave birth to it, like, it's a boy. <laughs> I'm running with this thing because by this time, I'm like a Mexican version of a lizard on National Geographic. Like, ah! Because everybody forgets blue team, red team. All they're thinking is the speaker has the ball. 
He's fair game. Get him. And ah, I'm running. My natural reaction, and it looked like skill was like, I threw it over my head, like, boosh, the, the, the watermelon's flying. Ju, 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 ju. Boosh, it lands right by the goal line. One of our teammates gets it. He swims a lap or two, dunks it over the goal line. We're all excited. There we are. We won. Blue team, blue team, blue team. Gabe, 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 Gabe. I was like, worship me. I never played real sports. Worship me. We were high-fiving each other, and as we were, at that moment, I realized something was missing. With the friction of the watermelon, throwing it over my head, and the slippery manteca grease, the Crisco grease, my ring flew off. Now, we were only in an area this size from the bottom space here, and I was like, guys, my ring, it's down here somewhere. This is the, the direction, and guys, can we? all these middle school kids, they made a game out of it. You know, they were like flamingos underwater, like, I can't see it. <laughs> We were looking and looking and looking, and we didn't give up until the director came over and said, Gabe, listen, other kids got to play this activity too. We're going to be here all week. It's just Monday. Continue on. We're going to find it. Now, the director hires a scuba diver with an underwater, underwater metal detector, but they couldn't find it because it's made out of titanium carbide. The kids were looking for it, and I was praying. I mean, every, every week, I'd walk, every day, I'd walk by, and there'd be some middle school kid looking under there. Like, I was praying to God he'd come up like Gollum from Lord of the Rings and be like, my precious, my precious. <laughs> Nobody did that. And the day finally came where I had to call my wife. I was like, hey, baby, we're having a great time here. Oh, man, these kids are being challenged. They're being inspired. God is just moving here. But listen, um, <clears throat> remember that thing that we did this year? Um, and she, you know, women have this thing called intuition. They know what you're going to say before you say, and, and, you know, she, so she was like, you lost my wedding ring, didn't you? And I was, I, I responded right back because guys do another thing called lying. I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't lose it. In fact, I know exactly where it's at right now. I just can't get to it. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation like that where you lost something? I mean, how do you lose your phone and you're on it? How do you lose? Now, by the way, I never found my wedding ring again, but I know exactly where it's at. The kids... I, I, uh, man, it was such a, I, I never found, we looked and looked and looked, I never found it, but have you, have you ever felt like that? I mean, you will lose sleep looking for this thing. And I, I, when I read about the scripture, I completely identify with feeling like I'm trying to find something. I'm trying to look for something that means so much to me. Why does it bother us so much to lose something? Sometimes it has no material value to anybody else, but it has value to you. Maybe it's been in your family for a long time. Maybe somebody of significance bought it for you. And it means so much to you that you will turn the house upside down to look for this one thing and you won't stop and you won't get real rest. You will sleep, but you won't get real rest until you find that thing. Can I tell you, God feels the same way for us. That when there is a lost individual, and he's talking about a lost coin, he's talking about a lost sheep, but then he talks about a lost boy. And you know, God has significance for you. And you have significance for God so much that God will not rest until he finds a person that's missing, a person that's lost, a person that feels like they have nothing else to live for. God cares for that person. And I wanna tell you, you have incredible significance, you have incredible value, you have incredible importance to God, and he is searching for you. You have value to God. Psalms 139 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. <clears throat> Jeremiah 1 says, before I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You are masterfully created and designed by God. You are. I tell kids, look at your hands. Your fingerprint is God's signature that you are important, that you are created by God. And I, we look at that sometimes. We say, yeah, I have a fingerprint, and that's nice and cute. But think about this. Nobody in the history of mankind has ever had a fingerprint like you. Nobody in the, in the future of mankind will ever have a fingerprint like you. I mean, I mean, babies are not born with dead people's fingerprints. I mean, they're not like, hey, look, he got Tupac. Oh, she got Selena. No, it is yours. It is yours. God has designed you masterfully to be great. That's why I tell students, dream big. Why? Because we serve a big and mighty God. Don't dream small. I get kids mess around me. I want to be a ninja. This dude was six foot five, 300 plus pounds. I said, bro, you want to be a ninja? One day you can be all dressed up in black, climbing a building in Dallas. They'll be like, mommy, what's that? That's an eclipse right there. <laughs> 
I had a kid tell me one time, I won't be a drug dealer. I was like, the dude had drugs on him and got arrested in my school assembly in Houston, Texas. I had a guy stand up and say, I want to be a dinosaur. I was like, are you kidding me? We need kids to dream big. I tell kids, stop wishing, start dreaming. A wish says magically it's going to happen. But when you dream, you see the journey and the steps and the process. Ain't that right? You, have you ever had one of them dreams that felt so real that you thought it was? Where your brain fooled your body thinking it was real for a second, like you were being chased by a pit bull, and when you wake up, you're kicking. Have you ever had that dream? Or have you ever had that dream you're falling in a, in a bottomless pit? Am I the only one? I wake up halfway off the bed. My sheets are all jacked up. <laughs> have you ever had a dream you're swimming? You wake up and have to change your underwear. I'm just kidding. No hands up. Put your hands down. <laughs> have you ever had a dream that felt so real that you thought that that dream was? That's the dream that God has for us that is so real that it's almost right there. And that's why I tell kids, don't give up. Thank you, Pastor Ben. I appreciate that. That's why we're telling kids, don't give up. Don't give in. Giving up feels really easy at times. And it's natural. It's natural to feel like it's so hard to be a single mom. It's so hard to be a single dad. It's so hard to be a college kid that's poor, living on ramen noodle soup, being creative with eggs and hot sauce. And it's so hard, you know, you know taking a risk in life and doing something. I'm, one of my favorite quotes, and it's not a religious quote, it's not a biblical quote, but it's, if, if you want something that you've never had before, you've got to be willing to do something that you've never done before. You've got to be willing to take a risk, but you can't give up. And I really believe in the human tenacity, in the human spirit that God has created within us to not give up. But if you think about like nature and you think about the, the world that God has created, I mean, even plants don't give up. Think about it. Even a plant till the time it's planted will produce. When it grows, even till the day it dies, it'll stretch its limbs out as far as it possibly can. It will develop fruit. It will even give oxygen and plant food. If you think about it, even till the day it dies, but humans will sometimes give up before they die. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't feel like, you know, like it, it, this is the last time. This is the last opportunity. You are one step away from the greatest thing that God has in store for you. You are one step away from a scholarship. You're one step away from a contract. You're one step away from saving your marriage. You're one step away, one day away, one handshake away, one opportunity away from saving and helping a lost family member. Don't give up because God never gives up on us. He loves you. The price of sin is deep. Luke 15, 13 through 14 talks about that the money was gone, it was lost. The Bible says the son went out and spent all that he had. You see, selfish living has a price. Let me say that one more time so it's really deep in you. Selfish living has a price. You know, when we're at church and we're talking about offering and we're talking about giving, you know, it's not really about giving. It's about the spirit of giving. Do you, you understand the spirit of poverty and the spirit of wealth? It, it's completely different. Like, have you ever known somebody that, that they, are, they, are, they, they think they have a lot of money? And it's like, like have you seen these gangster rappers, <laughs> you know, and they'll squander their stuff? They said that Lamar Odom, the night of the situation that happened a couple weeks ago, he spent 75 grand on that evening. Crazy. That money. Can you imagine what that money could have done to an impoverished community? But there's people that will feel like, hey, all this money, it's mine, and they'll squander it, and they'll hold it, and they'll say, this is all mine, and they'll keep it. And, and sooner or later, money runs out. Ain't that the truth? It runs out. There's not enough Jordans you can have, not enough designer purses that will ever, because I tell kids, I, I'm not going to tell you and lie to you that everybody in this room will be a millionaire, because that's not true. But I can tell you this, that if you take my words, that you can have something greater. It's not the Mercedes. It's not the Cali. It's not the closet full of, full of Jordans and designer purses. It's love and joy and peace. And that's the spirit of wealth. It's like that grandma that barely has any money. She's living month to month. But when you tell her you're going on a missions trip and you tell her you're doing something incredible, she will find that money and she will make a sacrifice to give if, as people have given. That's the spirit of giving that will give and say, you know what? I, it, it's not because I have. It's because I've given. That's why I have. And see, when you squander and you live with selfish living, it will run out. And that's what happened to this man. It will run out. The Bible says sin is good for a, for a season. 
Once you start living, it is a self-pleasing attitude, and it's hard to stop. It is a tidal wave that cannot be controlled. I like to say, you can make your choices, but your choices will make you. Have you seen people in situations like this where, where they, they feel like it's the last time that they're, they're ever going to do this stuff, and they, and, and they say, I'm done, and they feel like they've come to the end of their rope, and they say, I'm done, I've, I spent all my money, I've lived hopeless methods, and I've tried all these different things, but it hasn't been enough, and, and they feel like you know, they're done. Have you ever seen people like that? And they come to an altar and they, they've lived hard lives of drugs or they've lived hard lives of, of, of nightlife or they've lived hard lives of, 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 um, of unforgiveness. And they finally come to a place where they say, God, I'm done. I'm done drinking. I'm done smoking. I'm done this, living this lifestyle. But can I tell you, it is hard to give up. It's hard to give up drugs. Because it's not just that. I, I really recommend that when people come to the knowledge of the power of Jesus Christ, that not only do they get plugged in a church, but they also find and continue therapy or counseling because there are consequences to a lot of these decisions. Sometimes it's medical. Sometimes it's psychological. And so there are consequences. But have you ever seen people come and they say, God, never again. I'm never going to say this again. I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to go there with this person again. I'm drawing the line. I'm done. And they'll cry real tears. They will be completely and genuinely sorry. But they'll leave the room, they'll leave the sound and the lights, and they'll go back to doing the same thing. And they'll come back, and they'll find themselves in a cycle. Because it is hard to break a lifestyle of sin. It is hard, but is is it impossible? No. Because I believe that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed 2,000 years ago is as potent and as powerful today as it was then. And I believe it can change a drug addict to get off of drugs. It can change a prostitute. It can change a person who's involved in drugs and alcoholism to break and change a life. It can cause a person that's been angry and hateful and argumentative to become a person of peace and of love. And if God can change me, God can change anybody. But some people say, go with the flow. Just go with the flow, Gabe. Have you heard people like that in this lifestyle of sin? They'll say, just go with the flow, man. Everybody's drinking. Everybody's partying. Everybody's doing drugs. And, you know, they'll tell you that. And the truth is, you know that everybody is not doing that, right? Like even in high schools, they say, Gabe, you got to come and speak to my school. Everybody's having sex. I'm like, everybody? Even that one dude that looked just like George Lopez, him too? (laughs) They'll say everybody, but statistics have said that 53% of kids across America have already made a declaration to say, I'm not going to have sex, at least until I'm married or 18. I think those are good. So when people say everybody's getting drunk, everybody's getting high, that is not true. Don't believe these lies. When they tell you everybody's doing that, no, everybody is not doing that. There's a great percentage of people that are committed. And statistics say two out of every three kids in school that have have said, you know what, I made a mistake. And you know what? I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'll never do that again. That's a great person that can say, you know what? I've made a mistake. I'm going to learn from these mistakes. And we say, I tell kids, don't be a dead fish. Because, you know, a dead fish can go downstream just as fast as any other fish. You know that, right? A dead fish, think about it. Like in a stream of fish, a dead fish can go downstream just as fast as any other fish. Are you a dead fish? Don't be a dead fish. I, I, don't be a dead fish. Be a fish that goes against the flow. Man, even a dead fish can go downstream, but it takes a, a young man, it takes a fish, it takes a person that's committed and determined and dedicated to go against the flow and go against the streams and the negativity of life and make it to the top and get eaten by the bear. So my next point is, <clears throat> I'm just kidding about the bear. But there's two types of people. In this story, there's two types of people, and even in life, There's two types of people, very simple, and this is a general statement, but it's very true. There's people that are lost, and they don't know that they're lost. And there's there's ones that try to hide. There's ones that you know you're making a mistake, you know you're messing up, you know you keep doing this thing over and over and over again. And there's, I mean, how many times? Does it have to continue to go? It doesn't have to because you are facing the consequences. You are making the decisions. The Bible says that there were three things that were lost. There was a coin that was lost. Now, a coin doesn't, isn't it funny that the coin doesn't, doesn't ever cry out for, for itself to come back? Have you ever lost money and it, come, it tried to come back? 
I mean, it doesn't do that. That would be awesome, right? If you would like open up your pocket and like magically, like Mary Poppins, things would start just jumping in your pocket and stuff. Like, you know, no. A sheep, a sheep doesn't come back. What does a sheep do? That's why it needs a shepherd. Sheeps do what sheep do. They wander and they need a shepherd to guide them. I mean, I got a, I got a Boston Terrier that won't listen to me. A sheep, come on. But then the third one, a boy, a son, the Bible says in 13, it took for him to come to his senses. So a coin's going to do what it's going to do. A sheep's going to wander, but a human has the ability and the tenacity to make its own decision. And we can complain, and we can, we can blame, and we could point fingers, and we could say, if it's the color of my skin, oh, it's because of my parents, or it's because of my mom, it's because of the neighborhood, it's because of all these people that are pointing fingers at me and saying, that, you, no, it's you. You need to make a decision today. The Bible says, choose you this day who you will serve. And it's got to be something within you that will find the wherewithal to say, I'm tired of living like a pig. I'm tired of doing something that I said I would never do. You say, you know what? I'd never eat pig sloth. Oh, I'd never sleep in this place. I'd never do this thing. But we find ourselves in situations where these things are bigger than us. They are stronger than us. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So you cannot do it on your own. You cannot overcome pornography on your own. You cannot overcome uh, a, a debauchery. You cannot overcome uh, a, a, a drug abuse on your own. You need help. You need to find a mentor. You need to find an accountability partner. You need to find somebody that you really trust, a place like Luminous where people can be embraceive and they can be loving and help you walk you through the hard things in life that try to destroy the wonderful creation that God first designed in you. And that's the amazing thing about God, is that he knows what you did, he knows what you said, he knows where you are, but he still loves you. He still wants you. He still has a plan for you, and your sin is not stronger than your anointing. Somebody who needs to hear that, I hope you would clap right now. I have parents that tell me, Gabe, oh, let me say this real quick. Is this good stuff, by the way? Okay, so let me talk about parenting for a few moments because I love this part in three. At verse 20, it says, so he got up, he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, he saw him, had compassion on him, and he ran and he hugged him and he embraced him and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I, I don't know if we have any parents in the room today, but I, I, I work with parents. I do a lot of parent programs all across America. And so one of the biggest questions I get asked in America today, Gabe, what is the biggest problem with teens in America today? I'll tell you right now, parents. Because if we would have parents that would stop trying to be best friends, we could find help and hope for kids in America. If we would find parents that would stop enabling kids to try alcohol, stop enabling kids to do marijuana and stop protecting them and stop going to schools only when things are bad and show up to schools also when things are good. Statistics say that when a dad shows up to school three times a year to a school, when it's not disciplinary, that they're attitude and their disciplinary problems drop. We need parents to get involved. I mean, I get parents show up. I mean, I've had kids in my programs, like the worst, like, you, you know, when they say there's no bad kids, right? There's, I had kids, I question that, right? There's no bad kids, just bad upbringing, whatever. I like, oh, well, that's a bad kid because I've always got to watch my wallet. I've got to watch. And then we have a thing that we call parent day and the parents show up. So we say, all right, all the kids, you're going to get a, a free trip to Disneyland, but you got to have your parents show up. So the parents show up, and I'm like, oh, my God. Now I know why this kid is the way he is. I love you. I'm so sorry, you know. And their parents will show up high. I've had parents show up high. Parents show up like no bra, you know, walking around like it's a, like, I'm, you, okay, you're acting like you've never been to a public school parent meeting. <laughs> and I'm like, who let this person out of the house? Okay, because I feel a little, I feel a little awkward right here, but. I mean, it is strange, the, the parent situations that we have today. It is, it is they're, they're enabling, oh, you could drink, but in my house. You can have sex, but in my house. You can do drugs, but in my house, because I watch you. Do you think that 
protects kids. No, that gives a kids a green light to say, hey, when mom's not around, they let me do it. And I talk to kids, and they say that. We need parents to stop trying to be best friends and be real parents that show. We need Chancla Ninja moms that will show up and be like, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. I know where you're at. I make tacos here on the part-time. I will show up to you on your school. And, and we need moms and dads to do it. I, I, sometimes I, I, when I was a youth pastor, and Ben and I, you remember this, you'd see some mom, right, of a kid. Like, hey, how's Jimmy doing? Oh, well, you know, he didn't want to get up today, so he slept in. I'm like, are you? I never, I didn't know there was a choice. My mom would wake me up to go to school, and, you know, and that happens. It's crazy. I mean, are you kidding me? We need some parents to stop trying to be best friends, stop enabling them, and be real moms and be real dads. Show your parents, your kids aren't supposed to like you. <laughs> they're supposed to love you. There's a difference. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, they, they, they need to love you. Love is so important. But you know what? Sometimes they're going to be mad at you, and that's okay. That's okay for them because uh, we, you know, we, we teach kids that being upset is bad and being happy all the time is good. We teach them that, that working hard and sweating is bad and that Easy is good. And we're teaching our kids that, you know what, that, it, it, that, that it's always going to be like that. You know, can I tell you, sometimes in life, you're going to be sad, and that's okay. Can I tell you, sometimes you're going to have to work hard. Sometimes you might get fired or laid off, and you might have to go to Starbucks, and it's not the end of the world. It's okay, because life is going to get better because God never gives up on you. We need to teach kids that. And here's something I want to teach you kids, uh, teach you parents. There's, uh, you know what, Pastor Ben, I might go over like two or three minutes. Is this okay? Is this good stuff? I, hope, I, know, we got, I know we got like, you know, goosebumps that's about to show up, but hold on, hold on. Okay, but there's five major reasons why, why, why students succeed in America today. That's the self-influenced kid. Can I tell you real quick, five, five major reasons why kids succeed in America today. What's one, it's a self-influenced kid. You know that kid that graduates valedictorian, like parents in the front row don't even know what happened. Like they're sitting there cross-eyed like, I don't even know how he graduated. Mira, valedictorian, it must have come from my side, but it skipped a generation. <laughs> you know that kid never studies, but like, wow, they succeed. That's a self-influenced kid. Nobody take credit. Two, it's the peer. Peer, like peer, like two brothers, two sisters, two cousins, best friends, twins. They make every decision based on what that person, like, what movie do you want to see? I don't know. What do you want to see? I don't know. Uh, do you think he's cute? I don't know. Do you think he's cute? Like, you can't make a decision on your own, please, you know? Three, it's the peer groups. These are like volleyball teams, basketball teams, college groups. These are, you know, any, I mean, uh, college study groups or SAT groups or any time you spend with groups five to seven or more, 10 hours a week or more, that's a peer group. They make decisions based on what everybody else is making. If they're all talking about college and SAT prep, guess what the kid's thinking about, whether he does or not. Or not. If, she's, if they're all talking about getting high and going partying, guess what this person's thinking about, whether they do it or not. That's their influence. Fourth, it's the mentor. These are pastors. These are counselors, leaders, principals, counselors, people that kids look up to, and they say, if that person could do it, I can do it too. And fifth is the parents. That's right. Uh, based on the study, do you know what the number one reason why a kid in America succeeds and goes to college, graduates college, and finishes college and everything? Do you know what that number one is? False. Wrong. Do you know what? Actually, it's last on the list for kids in America today. Because if you talk to a kid, you're like, hey, I want to talk about parents. I want to talk about, you know, I'm not talking about kids like from your church. and you're, I'm talking about real kids in public school. If I talk about parents, they're like, screw my parents. Forget my dad. You see my dad telling me he owes me money. They have a total lack of disrespect and disregard for parents in America today. And you might disagree with me. You might say, no, that's not right, Gabe. I homeschool. My kid's perfect. Like, okay, let me tell you about your homeschool kid. Because you could drive your homeschool kid like you're going out to, like, Trampoline City or whatever this thing's called. You're, like, dropping them off. You're like, oh, my gosh, mija, you're so beautiful and so pretty. And I play blessings over you in Psalms 91 and sana, sana, corita de rana. Have a good day, mija. And your little girl gets out the car and walks into the place. And the moment she walks in, two other kids or three other girls look at her and say, oh, you're wearing that? Everything that you've built up has been destroyed on what other kids think about your kid, more than what they think about themselves, more than what you think about them. So the number one reason why kids succeed in America is peer groups. It's crazy. Kids care. You know, that, that may be true for other kids in America and other homes. Can I tell you, that doesn't have to be true for your home. 
I love the scripture, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. So I love the story of restoration. I love the story of love, that here was a son that was going through the worst time in his life, had spent all of his money, had spent all of his emotions, been living in pig slop. And you know what? I, I would venture to say that the dad probably heard stories. He probably heard rumors about what was going on. And the Bible says from a far distance, the father saw his son. And you know your kids. Don't you know your kids? Have you ever looked at your kids and you just know what's going on? You just know. Uh, you know, parents have like an instinct, like the Holy Ghost will wake you up, right? Holy Ghost will wake you up, make you go look at their Facebook. Holy Ghost will wake you up, make you go look in their closets, and, and you'll find something. You'll be like, I don't, how did I know? The Holy Ghost told me. The Holy Ghost will tell you. I tell parents, you are the number one line of defense for your kids. Don't rely on the schools. Don't rely on the counselors. You need to rely on your gut feeling that when you know something is wrong and God is speaking to you, you need to move into action. I tell, you know, some, I, I do believe in drug testing your kids for situations. I'll tell you why in just a moment. But, you know, drug, you know, you can go to Walmart and get this like $15 drug test for your kids, but you are the drug test. When you see your kids and they come home from school, they come home from the movies, they come, you grab them and you bring them close. <clears throat> you grab them and you bring them real close. And then you smell them. <laughs> smell them. And then, Mom, what are you doing? I'm just smelling him. I did it when you were a baby. I'm doing it now. <laughs> and then you look in their eyes. Why are, you, why are you looking at me like that, Mom? Just look at, I love your eyes. You have your daddy's eyes. But you look to see if they're dilated. You look to see if they're red. You do. Because that's what good moms and that's what good dads do. You are the first line of defense. You are a walking, talking drug test. When you go through their closets, because you, you, do you know there's a, there's a kid in Minneapolis that's suing his dad for invasion of privacy for going into his closet, going into his room? What? I don't know if that would ring true in Texas. Oh, this is my house right here. <laughs> how, much time, how much more time do I have, Ben? Five minutes. Also, I think parents should have uh, uh, technology parking lots. When do, when do parents give teens cell phones birthdays and christmas right do you say merry christmas oh by the way santa wanted me to tell you <laughs> that uh if you get an f it's mine no i mean nobody ever says that right nobody ever says like, like you know when you get that 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 happens but you know a lot of kids they say they say that the that the adolescent brain changed in the in the ninth, in the 20th century whenever the invention of the car came right so when 15 years old is like freedom freedom i could drive anywhere i could go anywhere i could have you ever heard that statistic that the, that the adolescent brain changed with the invention of the car in the 21st century you know what it's the invention of the cell phone smartphone here's the problem though when are kids getting phones i know have you been to elementary school and seen a kid with a self with a, a, a iphone 6 i've seen it so they're like the world, the world, they have access to the world. But you know what also happens is the world has access to them. Cell phone technology parking lots. I wish I had a whole other, another five minutes. I'm going to stay tight on that five minutes, Ben. But parents, you need to have cell phone technology parking lots in your house. That's a place where you designate every cell phone, every iPad, every computer access game, every little Nintendo thing, every uh, Nintendo DDS or whatever goes into this place because kids are losing sleep and their test scores are dropping as a result of that. Also, Skyping and also predator opportunities have been happening tremendously when they download apps and it has... A, 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 <clears throat> it has a hack in it where they're able to come, and they've been saying it, where kids now, in the middle of the night, their cameras have been turning green at the top because the camera's on and somebody's watching them. It's happening all across America. It did work with ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children, in Los Angeles. So you need to keep these things all in a cell phone technology parking lot. Who gets up first in the morning? Typically, mom. She gets up, she's able to look at all the things. It also prevents with cyberbullying because statistics show that your kid will not tell you if they're being cyberbullied. So you get up in the morning, you say, hey, this dude, he's talking about you. Why is he saying this about you? You get to go and report that to the school and you need to know all the bully policies of your school. You are the first line of defense in your home. I hope you develop a cell phone parking lot. I hope you love your kids. We had to love our kids. I was speaking in Raleigh, North Carolina at a big drug prevention rally for the Raleigh, North, uh, Raleigh Police Department. And as I'm getting ready to go on stage, I get a phone call. My wife calls me. She says, oh my gosh, I need to talk to you right now. And I said, what's going on? 
what's going on? I'm about to get on stage. And she goes, no, no, you're going to stage. Call me when you get off, call me when you get off stage. I said, no, too bad. It's too late. <laughs> you need to tell me right now because I, I can't process anything like that. So she tells me what happened. My son got caught with drugs at school. I was like, are you kidding me? And I'm doing a drug prevention rally right now? <sighs> so I do my thing. And the moment I'm up there, the enemy's just lying to me. Have you ever felt the enemy lying to you? Like, what do you do? You're not even making a difference. You're not even making a difference in other people's lives. You're not making a difference in your own kids' lives. All this is junk. I get off, and I'm so angry. The Latino in me is just like, that's it. I'm busting a dude with the chancla. I'm busting a dude with the everything. Like, I'm, he's going to get it. I'm, and thank God. Have you, has, has you ever gone down where you're like, thank God my son is far from me? Because if he was within arm's reach, like, it'd be over for him. And the Holy Ghost began to deal with me when I was, when I was in the airplane. I started feeling the Holy Ghost tell me, Gabe, you can be so angry right now. You could destroy him like you deserve. You have every right to. Or you can love him and you can restore him. And so when I was flying, I landed back in Los Angeles and I got to the house. I was so angry on the inside. I was angry in my heart for what I allowed to happen in my own home and at school. But when I looked at him, I hugged him. And I said, you know what? I want you to remember this experience because you know what? I'm going to restore you. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to love you. And I'm not going to let this thing take my son away. I am going to know that I raised a child to love God. It took a while. It took some counseling sessions. We got him involved in a ministry program. And my son today is now a music minister at a church on the north side of town here in San Antonio, Texas. He's reading his Bible. He loves Jesus. He's been on missions trips throughout here in San Antonio. And it took effort. And it took intention. So when I read this, I completely identify with a father that would say, I have every reason to destroy you. I have every reason to hurt you. I have every reason to be angry with you. But I'm going to love you into restoration. Can I speak to moms and dads in this place today that have come to me and said, Gabe, can you... Can you please pray for my son? He's lost. And I think about that. I think about something lost. You know, a thing can be lost, but you know what? A soul cannot be lost because God sees that soul. God sees that heart. God sees that young man. God sees that young woman. And nothing is lost to God. If you're in this room today and you would say, Gabe, I know somebody lost. My son's lost. My brother's lost. My family member, they're lost. And they're in this spiral of something that's so hurt. Maybe you'd say, Gabe, I am lost. I'm lost. I don't know God. I just got invited here today, and I, I've felt lost. I felt like God had given up on me. I want to pray for you today, that you would come to the knowledge and knowing that he who began a great work in you is faithful to complete it. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand and just say, Gabe, your message spoke to my heart today. It spoke to my life. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for Luminous Church that is reaching out to a generation that needs you more and more, that's building, that's growing, that's developing, and making families better, making marriages better and stronger, making children, the children that you created and designed for them to be. Thank you for this place. We pray for this ministry. We pray for Ben and Brandy that you would bless their lives in an incredible way. Use this ministry to change San Antonio, to never be the same again, but to be everything that you have called them and created them to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, let's, uh, if you would stand with me this morning, stand with me and Gabe, stay up here. Um, I know we got to hurry because we're a portable church, man. We, you know, God. I will help, I will help okay, <laughs> Gabe's going to help load. Duly noted. Hey, let's do this. Let's extend our hands towards him. And as you do, you're ex extending your hands towards two million, two million kids in the United States. That's a, such a blessing. And so let's pray for him. Father, we just thank you for Gabe. Thank you for his wife, Nancy, and his family, Jesus. God, we thank you for the ministry that you put on his life. God, the anointing that you placed. 
Lord Jesus, we just pray, God, that you would bless every word that comes out of his mouth, God. God, as you're going into schools and going into places, God, that, that some of us don't have the opportunity to go to. Jesus, I pray that you would bless Gabe. I pray for a hedge of protection around this man of God. I pray, God, that you would bless him all the days of his life. God, I pray just for a helmet of salvation to come over his mind, that you would guard him in every way in Jesus' name. And God, I just pray, Father God, for just a breastplate of righteousness to come over him, Jesus. God, that this man would walk righteous all the days of his life. Lord, I pray that you would bless him, that, God, you would fill him with your Holy Spirit every day and bless his wife as she stays home. God, touch her. Jesus, touch her. Bless his family. God, as there's many nights they sleep as he's gone, I pray, God, that they would know, they would know, God, every day, God, that their husband, their, their dad is doing something amazing. Father, we thank you for this family. Bless them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. If that blessed you today, would you give Gabe and his family a big hand? If you need prayer for anything on your, as you go today, on your way out today, if you need prayer, then we're going to have prayer workers right up here. We'd encourage you to get prayer. I believe that next week is going to be a powerful Sunday for our church. A timely Sunday as we're out of our series. I'm just going to speak what God's been placing on my heart over the last several months. So we'd love, love to see you next Sunday. Have an amazing, amazing day and week. You are dismissed.